I am counted among those who go down to the dead. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lays heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your ways. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness.
they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In our anguish we cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting us free. Christ is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Rejoice, for the Lord our God is good.
Let's continue our worship and prayer by offering our thanksgiving to the Lord God. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may by your life-giving Spirit be delivered from death and raised from sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Our sermon passage for today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 50. Open your hearts and your ears and hear the word of the Lord. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you 
and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. He is risen. Amen. Friends, happy Easter to you as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ together this morning. And if you're a guest with us here today, welcome to Rockwall Press. And the answer to that question you've already thought is yes, we do this every Sunday. We like to go all out uh, here at RPC. We're glad that you're with us today, and we hope that you feel uh, welcome. I hope that you feel a part of our church family today. Uh, today. And my hope this morning for all of us is simple. All week, my prayer for you, for me, has been that we, this morning, would know the peace that we have with God. The Bible calls that a peace that surpasses understanding. And peace is, after all, the first word that the resurrected Jesus spoke to, to the disciples when he first appeared to them after the resurrection. So might you hear him speak that to you this morning. We're in a sermon series where we're preaching through the whole Bible this year. And today we come to the end of the story of Joseph. And that probably wasn't the story you expected to hear on Easter Sunday. What does the story of Joseph have to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's a story that reminds us of the simple beauty of the gospel and all that this weekend represents. Because the story of Joseph is a story about forgiveness and an empty tomb. It's an Easter kind of story. It's a story that reminds us who we are. It reminds us of what we've been given. And it reminds us where we belong. And to see all of that, we have to go back to the beginning and take a long walk with Joseph. Joseph was the youngest of 12 brothers. His father was Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. And this family was special because starting with Abraham, God had made promises to this family, promises that he would make them great. He would give them a home. And that he would use this family to be a blessing to the nations. And this family passed down those promises from one generation to the next. And yet this family was far from perfect. We also see them pass down their sin and brokenness too. You see, Jacob's father, Isaac, had a favorite son. And it was not Jacob. It was his brother Esau. And that hurt. That was a source of incredible pain and sorrow for Jacob. And yet when Jacob became a father, he ended up doing the same things as his father. 
He played favorites among his 12 sons. His favorite son was Joseph, and he didn't hide it. He gave Joseph that special gift, that coat of many colors. Such a pricey gift in the ancient world. But it was also one that communicated to all of his brothers exactly where they stood. And they knew their place. That hurt too. Joseph wasn't the most humble of children when we first meet him. God gives him a dream one night, and it was a dream where he saw his 11 brothers and his father and his mother all bowing down to him as he was ruling over them. What an awesome dream when you're 17 years old. And he made sure everybody knew about it, especially his brothers. And it says that they despised Joseph. They hated their brother. And so the stage is set. One day Jacob sends Joseph to go out and check on all of his brothers who were out taking their flocks to the pastures. And when the brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, they all conspired together. They came up with a plan. They said, let's be done with Joseph and his stupid dreams. Let's throw him into the cistern. Let's throw him into the pit and let's kill our brother. So Joseph finally arrives and gets to them. And they gang gang up on him. They grab him and they rip off that special coat. And in this dark and evil moment, you can only imagine the fear of Joseph. Guys, what are you doing? Stop. Why are you doing this to me? You're hurting me. Let me go. They threw him into the pit, one so deep he couldn't climb out. You ever had a version of that nightmare where you're trapped somewhere and you can't get out, but you can hear all of the voices of the people that you love, but no matter how much you scream, no one hears you. That nightmare came true for Joseph. Because right after the brothers threw Joseph into the pit to leave him for dead, you know what they did? It says they sat down and had dinner. Can you imagine the scene in your mind, these brothers quietly eating their food with all that cold hatred in their hearts while in the background they hear Joseph screaming for his life from the bottom of the pit? Such a dark and gruesome moment. And while they're eating, they see a caravan passing by, and Judah had an idea. Judah was the ringleader. He said, if we're going to get rid of Joseph, let's at least get a little something out of it. Let's sell him. And so they pulled Joseph out of the pit, and maybe Joseph thought that they'd come to their senses, or maybe they were just playing a really cruel joke on him. But only then to watch as his brother sold him for 20 pieces of silver. He was betrayed by his brothers, sold like a piece of property, shackled like a slave, and carried off to a land where he didn't even know the language at 17 years old. Where's God in all this? Isn't this the family of promise? 
God was with Joseph in the pit. He was with Joseph in those shackles, and he went with Joseph down to Egypt. Because God had made promises to this family, and he was going to keep them. Joseph was bought by a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And God gave Joseph favor in the eyes of Potiphar because Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his house. For a few years, maybe life would be okay. He was given status and privilege, some measure of freedom that didn't last long. When Joseph rejected the advances of Potiphar's wife, she concocted a story and said that Joseph tried to assault her. And Joseph didn't get a say in the matter. And when you get blamed for trying to assault the wife of the captain of the guard, you can assume safely that you will be thrown into the deepest, darkest pit of whatever prison they could find. Betrayed, 2.0. And thrown into an even darker pit than the first. So where is God in all of this? He went to prison too. Because he was with Joseph. And amidst all of this pain and tragedy and heartbreak, he was keeping his promises. Joseph would spend years in that prison. And then he would meet two men. One was Pharaoh's personal baker and the other was Pharaoh's cupbearer. And one night each of those men that Joseph met had had a dream. And they were both greatly disturbed by their dreams. And so they asked Joseph if, they might, if he might possibly know what they meant. And Joseph did, in fact, know what they meant. Joseph told the baker that his dream meant that in three days, Pharaoh was going to execute him for his crimes. And then he told the cupbearer that his dream meant that in three days, Pharaoh would restore him to his position and he would be set free. And now Joseph has a chance. He makes a request of this cupbearer. He asked the cupbearer to remember him when he was freed. Joseph told him his story, told him of where he was from, told him of how he ended up where he was and all that had happened to him. And it's very clear that Joseph just wants to have a chance to go home. But when this cupbearer was restored, no one ever came. The cupbearer completely forgot about him. Betrayed 3.0. And still stuck in that pit that he can't escape. Two years passed as Joseph sat in that prison. And I would imagine that somewhere in those two years were the bottom for Joseph. But where was God in all of this? God followed Joseph all the way down to the bottom. He was moving his pieces in place, and now the stage is set because God had made promises, and he was keeping them. And one day, a messenger came for Joseph and said that Pharaoh wanted to see him. Pharaoh had been having bad dreams himself, and he was very, very troubled by them, and that's when the cupbearer remembered that dream interpreter that he met when he was in prison. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and told him all about these dreams or nightmares that he'd been having, and he didn't understand them. But Joseph did. He immediately knew what they meant. He said, there will be seven years of harvest, and then there's going to be seven years of famine so severe that it will cover the face of the earth. 
And Pharaoh was so moved and impressed by Joseph, he did the unthinkable. He made Joseph second in command of the biggest empire on the planet to lead them through the coming tribulation. He was the prisoner turned prime minister. He woke up that morning in a prison cell, but went to bed that night in the palace. Why? Because God has made promises, and he was keeping them. And seven years pass, and the famine begins. And one day, while Joseph was overseeing the distribution of food, like any other normal day over those seven years, he says, next... And the next people that step up in line were the last ones he ever expected to see. He saw his brothers. After 20 years, he sees all 11 brothers standing in front of him. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Now, how do you think you'd feel in this moment? (laughs) After all these years, coming face to face with the ones who betrayed you and caused you so much pain and took everything from you. On top of the fact that you have so much power that you could have them executed with but a word. God has strange ways of confronting us with the past that we thought we'd left behind. And in a moment, all of it floods back for Joseph. Because God was writing a story where the betrayed would face the betrayers. When Joseph saw him, he wanted to see the type of men that they'd become after all these years. He tested them. He puts the pressure on them and he says, You're spies coming to scope out the land when we're vulnerable in this famine. Now, this would have been terrifying for the brothers. And they beg him. They say, no, we're just shepherds. We're 12 brothers, but our youngest brother, Benjamin, is at home back in Canaan. We are merely humble shepherds trying to survive in this famine. We are your servants. So Joseph says, prove it. I'm going to keep one of you until you return with your youngest brother. And let's see if you're telling the truth. That's probably a two-year round-trip journey. So when they return to tell Jacob what had happened, he won't let Benjamin go. And he says that if he loses his youngest son again, then he will simply die a death of sorrow and grief. But eventually he had no choice if they were all to survive because the famine was so severe So he sends Benjamin back with all of his brothers. And when they returned to Egypt, Joseph was waiting for him. He brought them into his home. And he prepared a gigantic feast for them. Because he had one more test. And when the brothers were getting ready to leave, he had one of his servants plant his silver cup in one of their bags. And then he had his servants say that Joseph's cup was missing and one of them must have taken it. So at this point, the brothers are just trying to get out of there with their heads on their shoulders. 
And so they, they say once again, vehemently, in their begging, they say they didn't steal anything. They said, search our bags. We're innocent, and if one of us took your cup, then let them forfeit their life. And so they search, and they find that silver cup in Benjamin's bag. This nightmare couldn't get any worse. They'd lose their brother all over again because of something they did. And they would lose their father. And then one of the most beautiful things happens. One of the brothers stood up and he said, if we don't return home with our youngest brother, our father will die of grief and sorrow. He can't lose his youngest son by our hands again. So let me take the blame. I offer my life instead. And that brother was none other than Judah. The very brother who'd sold Joseph into slavery. The brother with that stone-cold heart all of those years before that God had humbled in his own story and used to melt the heart of Joseph. Because whenever Joseph sees this and hears Judah say this to him, Joseph couldn't keep his composure any longer, and he broke down, and he wept, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. I am the one you sold into slavery. But do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, because God sent me here. He sent me here before you to preserve the life for many. This is just one of those moments you wish you could travel back in time and watch play out. It is just extraordinarily beautiful. Just to see the shock of these brothers, the tears of Joseph, the reunion of this family. And after this, Joseph brought his father and all of his brothers to Egypt. And he gave them the best land that Egypt had to offer in Goshen. And they lived like kings. And they lived together for 17 years as a family before Jacob would finally pass on. But before Jacob died, he passed down the promises of God to his sons. And he asked them a very specific request. He asked them to bury him in the promised land, not in Egypt. And then Joseph, or Jacob dies. And yet the story of this family is not over yet. Because when they got back from burying Jacob in the promised land, the past starts to resurface for these brothers. The patriarch is dead, and families can change very quickly once the patriarch is dead. Old grudges or rivalries or issues can so quickly creep back up to the surface. So now that Jacob is dead, the brothers are afraid. And they say in verse 15, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they went to Joseph and said, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, obviously, this never actually happened. It's a made-up story. They were formulating a plan because these brothers 
are afraid and they don't want to die. And when Joseph hears them say this to him, he weeps. Why does he weep? Like all the great tears of life, they're a mix of emotions. On the one hand, this is the first time we're given after all of these years where the brothers actually acknowledge to Joseph directly the evil that they did to him. But most of all, it's sorrow because after all of these years, Joseph realizes they still don't trust him. After all these years of Joseph caring for them and providing for them, they think his kindness is just a facade. They think his love for them isn't real. They think he was just tolerating them this whole time. They thought he was holding on to that record of wrongs the same way they were holding on to that record of wrongs. So in their guilt, they try to negotiate their own forgiveness to cover what they'd done. But what does Joseph say to them? He tells them the exact same thing he told them 17 years before. Do not be afraid. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good so that many might be saved. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. But notice, Joseph's forgiveness wasn't just saying, yeah, bro, we're good. It's no big deal. It's in the past. I'm over it. That's not forgiveness. That's not wanting to deal with it any more than the person who's asking for forgiveness wants to deal with it. Joseph shows us what forgiveness truly is. He comforted them. He said he'd care for them and for their little ones. Joseph committed his life to their good. And he invited them to trust him. It's incredible forgiveness. And yet how could Joseph offer this type of extraordinary forgiveness? Really, how could he forgive them after all that they had done to him? How could he forgive them when they'd never understand the suffering that they put him through? How could he forgive them when they would never, ever know the pain that they caused him? How could he forgive them when they would never, ever, ever be able to repay all that they took from him? It's because Joseph saw his life in light of the promises of his God. He held on to those promises that he'd heard as a young boy all of those years before, through all of those years of pain and heartache and suffering. He remembered that God had made promises to this family, and he trusted that God would bring about those promises and keep them. By clinging to those promises, that he found purpose in all of his pain. Clinging to those promises changed him into the type of person that could say, do not be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so I commit myself to your good. And in that forgiveness, Joseph invited his brothers to let go of the past. And he invites them into these promises. He invites his brothers to see their lives inside of these 
promises of God despite the greatness of their failures, that the promises were still on the table. Because later when Joseph was about to die, he told them that he actually did not want to be buried in the promised land. He told them he wanted to be buried in Egypt. He said, remember the promises of God. Remember what he promised us, that God will visit you. God will come to you and take you home because he has a place for us. And it's only then that you will carry my bones with you to the promised land. But until then, I will be buried in Egypt. Why? It's because Joseph offered them his life to where he even wanted his bones to be a comfort to them and to every generation after them. He wanted to remain with them until the very end so that his tomb would be a reminder to his brothers and to all of their descendants of the promises of their God. Because this is Joseph. Joseph would not have had a little roadside grave. His tomb would have been a national monument. Ornamented with all of the wealth and splendor of Egypt as a savior of the world. And he knew that his tomb would tell a story. So that when these brothers walked by it or they saw it from a distance, that tomb would remind them of the forgiveness that was theirs. To remind them in their doubts and in their struggles. To remind them that forgiveness had preserved them. Forgiveness had provided for them. And that tomb would point them forward to God's promises despite all of their failures and to let go of the past and remember that they didn't belong in Egypt and that one day that tomb would be emptied because God would bring them home. Because God had made promises and he would keep them. And that tomb was a powerful testimony to every Israelite generation after them that would walk by it with their sons and their daughters and they would say do you know the story of this tomb the story of this tomb is your story little one we exist we exist because Joseph forgave his brothers he didn't kill him as he could have. He didn't exercise vengeance in all of his grand power. He forgave them, and he gave his life for their good and for ours. We are alive because of forgiveness. And one day, little one, when that tomb is emptied, it means that God is calling us home because we don't belong here, and God has a place for us. It's such a profound and beautiful story because it teaches us how God will tell his story of redemption. He will bring purpose from pain. He will bring good from evil. And he will tell his story through forgiveness. And yet this story in all of its beauty is simply the opening act to an even greater act of forgiveness because it points forward to the forgiveness that you and I have received. But to know that, to taste it, to feel that, to experience it, we have to let this story remind us of who we are. We are not Joseph. We are the brothers. 
Because the gospel invites us to see Jesus, our brother. The brother we betrayed, the brother we denied, the brother we sell out for our own gain, the brother we abandon on the cross, the brother we forget, the brother we forsake, the brother that we left in the pits of the grave. And yet that brother says to you what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You are forgiven. And yet just like these brothers, that forgiveness can be so hard to receive. It can be so hard for it to just be a concept in your head and to have it be something that sinks deeply, deeply into your heart. Forgiveness can be so hard to accept. A couple years ago, I was, my wife and I were driving with uh, our son at the time, or our young son, and uh, Ava wasn't quite along yet, just the three of us. We crossed over the lake. We were on 66. We took a left on Dow Rock, and then it was going to immediately turn into uh, the grocery store there. So I took a left. It was 5 o'clock, tons of traffic, and all the oncoming traffic had stopped so I could turn. And as soon as I turned in, I just saw a cop point right at me and tell me to get over. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? He'd already lined up about three or four cars. So there was, at least had that going for me, wasn't the only one. And he walks up and he says, you know what you did? And I said, no, officer, I don't. I have no idea. And he said, well, that left turn right there, there's no left turn from 4 to 7 p.m. And I said, I totally missed it. And he said, I get it, but he said, we've got it, we're trying to crack down because we had some fatal car crashes right there at that intersection recently. And so I've got to give you a ticket. So he writes me a ticket, fair enough. A few weeks later, I remember, got to take care of that ticket. So I get on the online payment system at the Rockwall Court, or Rockwall Court website, and I type in the citation number. No record found. Type it in again. No record found. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I look at the ticket, and I realize that I was two weeks late in paying it. And it was already an expensive ticket. So I started thinking about remortgaging my house to pay for it, whatever I've got to do. I'm like, am I going to have to go to court, take a hold? What? I, I had no idea. So I go to sleep that night and I wake up the next morning and I immediately call the Rowlett Municipal Court and a woman answers the phone and I said, ma'am, hi. I said, I'm just trying to take care of my ticket. And it keeps telling me when I put in the citation number that there's no record on file. She said, well, tell me the citation number. So I give it to her. And she says, well, what was the date? So I gave her the date. And she goes, what time of day was it? Like a little trivia game we were playing. And I said, I told her the, the, the time, and she goes, hmm. And I'm like, this, this is going to be bad. And she goes, sir, there was a glitch in our officer system during that two-hour period that you got your ticket, and so it actually never processed and went through. And so we don't have a record of it. And I said, okay, well, how am I supposed to take care of it? She said, sir, we don't have a record of it. And I said, okay, but how do I get this taken care of? Do I need to like go to court or something? Like I've just read some stuff online. And she goes, sir, we don't have a record of it. Ma'am, I know, okay? I know you don't. I have the record of it. I'm holding it in my hand. I can bring the ticket to you so you have the record of it so I can get this off my record and pay for it. 
And she goes, sir, let me just say it again. There was a glitch in our officer system. It never went through. We don't have a record of it. It doesn't exist. It's as though it never happened. I guess today's your lucky day. And I said, are you serious? She goes, yes, I'm serious. I'm like, that is amazing news. Thank you so much. You've made my day. Thank you, sir, for calling around at municipal court quick. She got off the phone pretty quick. And yet I was overjoyed. Sometimes receiving forgiveness in the simplest of ways is just so hard to accept. There's just something in us that wants to pay for it. It's so hard to receive. Why? Because receiving forgiveness forces us to see ourselves as we are. It requires that we have to face what we've done, the mistakes we've made, the pain we've caused, the things that we can't undo, the things we can't change, the time we can't turn back or give back. Forgiveness can be so hard to can be so hard because it's something that we just simply can't earn. Forgiveness can only be received. And just like these brothers, it's easier for us to think that Jesus just tolerates us or that his kindness is just a facade, or that deep down he's just always so disappointed and angry with you. And one day he's going to come for you. He's going to come for his pound of flesh. So just like these brothers, it's not really a relationship. Because we're afraid of him. And we don't trust him. So it's easy to do what they did. We come up with a way to earn that forgiveness. We hold on to that record of wrongs as though it's something we can fix. Instead of seeing ourselves for what we are, we treat that sin problem as though it's something that we can handle on our own, as though all it's going to take is just a little hard work, a little elbow grease, and we'll be able to make it right and gain his approval. We hold that record of wrong between us and Jesus, and we say, I'm really going to try harder this time. This time I really mean it. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to change. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We think, you know, if I just beat myself up enough and just constantly remind myself of how worthless I am and I grovel, then Jesus will accept me because he'll know that I mean it, and he'll be pleased. Or we think, well, Jesus just offers me forgiveness in the cross, but it's up to me to stay forgiven. There's something in us that is so inclined to try to pay for it. And yet, what could these brothers have really done to undo the hurt they'd caused? What could they do to give back all that they had taken from Joseph? What could they possibly do to remove all of that pain and sorrow that they caused him as though it never happened? What could they possibly do to earn forgiveness? And what could we possibly do to earn ours? Because when you look at the cross and you see your crucified Savior covered in the blood of his own suffering and nailed to a tree, if that's the price for our sin and the cost of our freedom, then what would make us think that we have anything to offer to earn that forgiveness? What could we possibly pay? 
What amount of trying harder is going to earn that forgiveness? That's damage we can't undo. So remember the words of Christ, your brother, on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them for they don't know what they do. Forgive them when they don't understand what they've done to me. Forgive them when they will never know the extent of my suffering for them. Forgive them when they will never understand the pain of their redemption. Forgive them before they ever even commit their first sin. Forgive them when they forget more sins than they ever will remember. Forgive them when they forget me. Forgive them when they forsake me. Forgive them when they deny me. Forgive them when they don't trust me. Forgive them for what they mean for evil. We mean for good. That's forgiveness you can't buy. That's forgiveness you can't earn. That's forgiveness that can only be received. And that forgiveness is yours. Jesus offers you that forgiveness and invites you deeper into his promises. He invites your trust through that forgiveness to let go of that record of wrongs and whatever negotiating points you have that you bring to him all of the time. And instead to cling to the one who promises that he is the brother that never leaves you. He's the brother that's never going to forsake you. And he's the brother that will remain with you always, even to the very end, because he has committed his life to your good. And he has gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. That forgiveness invites you to trust in the one whose promises bring good from evil, joy from sorrow, purpose from pain, and life from death. So come, take a walk with me this morning. And let's stroll together and walk alongside Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Let's join the angels and Peter and the saints of every time and place from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And let's journey to the tomb. Do you know the story of this tomb? The story of this tomb is your story, little one. We have life because Christ forgave his brothers. We are alive because of his forgiveness. It's his forgiveness that has provided for us. It's his provision that has cared for us after all of these years. And that tomb is empty because God is calling us home and we don't belong here. Because God has prepared a place for us and there is a place for us in the heart of God because God makes promises and he keeps them. For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray. Lord Jesus, your kindness and mercy and your grace and your tenderness and your compassion, your long suffering is simply beyond compare. We confess that we aren't even aware of all of the sins we commit, the depths of sin in our hearts and our capacity for evil. We so 
want to believe that we're something we're not. And yet your cross invites us to see us as we are, but to also see you as you are, the God who makes promises to us and keeps them, even at the cost of his own life. You love every single person here. Might they experience that love as they taste your body and your blood at this table this morning. We thank you for all that this day represents. May we cling to the forgiveness that it tells us and trust in the promises that you give us. We ask this in the name of Christ, our heavenly champion and our risen Savior and King. Amen. If you are able and willing, I invite you to stand. As we prepare our hearts to come meet Christ at his table, let us confess our faith in our King and Lord. Christian, what is it you confess? Who is Jesus Christ? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things have been created through him and for him. He upholds all things by the power of his word. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the heavenly champion who rides on the clouds of heaven. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Son of the Most High God. He is fully God and fully man. He is our cornerstone, our bridegroom, our great high priest, our redeemer, our savior, our master, our messiah, our judge, our mediator, our righteousness, our light, and our life. He is the suffering servant, our Passover lamb, our hope, our peace. He is the one who holds the keys of death and Hades the key to the house of David, the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, and the scroll with seven seals. He is the ruler of kings on earth, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He is the dragon slayer, the bright and morning star. He is the rider on the white horse. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Before him every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He is the one who died for me, but now he lives and sits enthroned above the heavens, and he is the one who is coming again. Amen. You may be seated and take a moment to reflect on your King and Lord in the silence and quietness of your own heart. Now hear these comforting words concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
Praise the Lord, O my soul. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. This table tells the true story of the whole world. The whole story comes down to this bread and this wine. If you ever wonder, perhaps, why Jesus just gives us something as simple as a meal to remind us of him, well, it's the simplicity of the fact that he knows we need to be reminded. He knows we need reminders as often as we eat. And this table reminds you that Christ does not tire of reminding you of your forgiveness in him. This table reminds you that he does not tire of inviting you to place your trust in him and to not be afraid. It's this table that reminds you that he does not tire of reminding you that his promises are true for you and he will keep them. As we come to the Lord who has offered himself, let us offer ourselves to our God. Heavenly Father, by your power, you raise Jesus from death to life. Through his victory over the grave, we are set free from the bonds of sin and the fear of death. For we share the glorious freedom of the children of God. In his rising to life, you promise eternal life to all who believe in him. We receive him now as our light and life. As we break this bread in faith, we shall know the risen Christ among us. Amen. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the sins of many. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So family, let us proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the gifts of God for the people of God. This table does not belong to Rockwall Press. This table belongs to the Lord Jesus. And so if you belong to him by profession of faith and baptism, then you are welcome at this table, regardless of whether you go to Rockwall Press or some other church. You are part of our family in Christ, and we welcome you at this table. You can come down the center aisle and receive the bread from Pastor Mark or myself, and then you can move to the outside and receive either white grape juice or red wine, whichever you prefer. They're available on both sides or both are available on each side. And then we wait here at our PC until we can partake of this as the one family that we are. Beloved, please come. This table belongs to you.
sins, there's no record of it. It doesn't exist. Today's your lucky day. Let's partake. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you, for you are in Christ, and in Christ you are forgiven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but
receive the blessing that is yours in Christ. Weep no longer, but rejoice in your risen Savior. Do not shrink back as though Christ were still in the grave, but go forth in joy to love and serve him in all that you do. For just as he was sent to us, you are sent in the name of the risen Christ, to whom belongs all glory, all power, and all dominion now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. We love you. Go in peace and happy Easter.